The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. It is a pleasure to be here, to be talking to you, and just to be thriving, absolutely thriving on this Wednesday night. So many things to be happy about, not least of which in the Star Trek universe of all places. Have to talk about this, even though it has nothing to do with the entertainment industry. The entire cast of Star Trek The Next Generation is going to be in season three of Star Trek Picard. Yes, they have let seven-year-old Ryan in charge of the casting decisions at Star Trek, and we're bringing all of his childhood friends back for one last ride with Jean-Luc Picard. How can you not be excited about that? And speaking of things to be excited about, our guest coming up in the next segment, thrilled, tickled pink even, to be talking to Vinny Rebus. He is a music manager, the founder of the Indie Connect platform, super great uh, artist empowerment platform there, lots of great informational resources. He's creating a new platform called Cartney, which is going to have a lot of instructional videos for indie creators. We're going to talk to him all about that, get his advice on how to move your careers forward, and just uh, you know continue to thrive here, folks. And and as if that wasn't enough to be happy about, to be in a good mood about, we just had the Grammys on Sunday, and so I, I'm having my post-Grammy afterglow right now, feeling great. want to talk to Lauren about it. Hey, Lauren, how's it going? Hi, Ryan. How you doing? I am doing wonderfully because, as aforementioned, uh, the entire Star Trek game coming back for season three of Star Trek Picard. That's great. Vinny Rebus joining us. And, as I said before, the aforementioned post-Grammys afterglow that I'm in, feeling great about that. Did you catch any of the Grammys? Did you check out I this did. fantastic broadcast? I watched. I was with somebody who turned it on because I'm usually terrible at turning on the television. Especially when it's live TV, right? You never remember to actually watch stuff when it's on these days anymore. Anymore. I used to. Well, we also didn't used to have options if we want to date ourselves. Like, you didn't used to have on demand. You only watched what was on when it was on. That's right. Or you took your VCR and you, like, recorded it and watched the tapes back later. <laughs> VHS. I mean, other than other than uh, award shows and sporting events, there's not much that actually makes you watch it when it's on anymore. But the Grammys are that for me every year. It was fabulous. The performances were great, and one of my favorite pop songs of the year, uh, "Kiss Me More" by Doja Cat, won uh, best pop song, best pop uh, performance, which mm -hmm. was cool. I, I adore Doja Cat. She's so unhinged on TikTok, and it's lovely. And she's brought that unhingedness into her Grammy speech. She almost missed her acceptance speech because I she was saw that. peeing. She went to the bathroom. <laughs> like sprinted. who goes right before you're nominated? Yeah, I know you gotta like see the itinerary. Like okay, you know, like you gotta have at least a good like two or three categories in between yeah. you you know like okay look I, we still got like best tejano album here we got best you know spoken word best barbershop quartet all right i got time to go to the bathroom but now she's like what best pop performance coming up in 15 seconds i got time to go no no she maybe didn't. maybe it was intentional maybe she like couldn't take the pressure she's like i gotta get out of here it's not gonna happen anyway i'm just gonna go and then she was like wait it happened no way you know you gotta get she back she should have known. She should have known because that song absolutely slaps. And I am so, so happy for her. And but I would say of all the categories that I was most excited to hear about, Lauren, mm -hmm. the one that I was most excited about, the one that I got uh, most biggest smile on my face was not actually one of the telecast categories. So some people don't know this, but the vast majority of Grammy Awards that are given out are given out in what are called the pre-telecast awards. I would say, what, 80% of the Grammy Awards given out are not actually given out during the CBS broadcast. And one of those pre-telecast awards was for Best Musical Theater Album, mm -hmm. which, given our respective backgrounds, Lauren, I would say you were probably more excited for that category every year than I am, because you're the big musical theater head. But I couldn't help but be excited 
about the first or the the two uh, the duo that won for best musical theater album this year because it's such an incredible story really of is. indie creator empowerment. And before we talk about this story, before we talk about uh, the winner of this category, I want to take it back to our show about four weeks ago, Lauren. You remember we had JT Daly on the program, Mm -hmm. a fantastic independent artist, and he was talking about how he worked with the Dan Lebitard Show, a sports radio podcast, to create a musical album about the Super Bowl using the cast members that's not the right word the hosts of this sports radio show none of them were professional singers they had no professional musicians jt daly the only professional musician in this bunch had to produce this album in 30 days this musical about the super bowl and damn it if the thing isn't a masterpiece and we interviewed him all about it and i've been listening to episodes of the levitard show since that our interview and they've been talking about what they want to do with this album and they've made no secret of the fact that they want to take this Dan Levitard Super Bowl album and they want to go for a Grammy. They want to win Best Musical Theater Album. And up until Sunday's Grammys, I was saying to myself, this is silly. They are never going to give the Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album to something that wasn't created by Andrew Lloyd Webber, (laughs) something that never actually was on Broadway or, you know, forget on Broadway, has never been staged as a musical, only exists in the auditory medium as an album. They are never going to give a Grammy Award for that. But now I have to eat my words because this year's Grammy Award winner for Best Musical Theater Album, beating out the likes of Andrew Lloyd Webber and Stephen Schwartz, my God, was the... Was it the, the, the unofficial. unofficial Bridgerton musical mm-hmm. by indie creators and TikTokers Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear? I and it's uh, I've listened to the album. It's tremendous. And the story of how it all came together is such an amazing tale of indie creator empowerment. I want to talk to you all about it. Before we get into the background on this, like, do you have any initial thoughts about how can you give us an idea of how mind blowing this is? Like for those people who don't know who Andrew Lloyd Webber is, who Steven <laughs> Schwartz is, what order of magnitude of crazy is it that these two TikTokers, you know, off the street, a couple of barely not teenagers on TikTok beat out Andrew Lloyd Webber for best musical theater album? How insane, Lauren? Give, I mean, us, give us some perspective. It's super insane, but at the same time, it shows a huge transition in the area. And uh, I would say if I were the Andrew Lloyd Webbers and Stephen Schwartz's of the world, I'd be uh, a little, not nervous, but like <laughs> called to attention. It's time to, to up your game because they have lived in a world that was dominated by male uh, composers writing shows that were produced by very wealthy people to be put on stages to be seen by very wealthy people. And, uh, and it's an industry that is very different than I thought it was growing up. And I'm kind of excited by this new generation that's not doing things necessarily directly to Broadway or planned for that route. Um, but I do think it's scary that the people who have basically defined what this industry is, who created an industry that didn't exist before, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber is, is a pretty early person. I mean, you've got, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein coming before him and, uh, you know, Gershwin or something, but, but these are people who have developed what we think of as American musical theater. Right. And you know, these are the founders of what is being created. So yeah, to, to outdo, to outperform, I guess, to win an award over people that you had to have come up listening to and admiring is is a huge deal. Huge deal. And again, with no major label support, with no big time Broadway producers behind you, the, the story, with no Lauren. Cast, really, I mean, it's the yeah. two of them singing all of the roles. They didn't go through casting. They didn't hire an orchestra. There isn't this big production value. Like it's it's two people singing in their bedroom. I need to, we need to begin at the beginning with this, Lauren, so that the viewers and listeners get an idea of how incomprehensible and how amazing this is. Okay, this all started in January of 2021. TikToker and musician Abigail Barlow posts on her TikTok account and just says, what if Bridgerton, this Netflix series, which is basically like if HBO was in charge of Downton Abbey, 
Um, <laughs> what if Bridgerton was a musical and she just sings a song that she wrote? Like that would be like if this were a Bridgerton musical, I bet this song that I wrote would be in it. And that's all it was. She just sang it, and it it, it was a spark. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden. All these people on TikTok who are following her is like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Oh, I have this idea for a song. You should do a song about this character. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've written, I've, I've designed a costume that I think would be in the show. And it got bigger and bigger. What about this choreography? Yeah. I would do this thing. Yeah. They were so, in it. So, right. So once, like, once some groundswell was starting to develop amongst her little TikTok community, she reaches out to her friend, a composer, musician, and piano prodigy, Abigail Bear. And they say, let's make this musical, the two of us. We're going to do 15 songs as if the Bridgerton TV series was a musical. And they start writing the album together. And rather than the way a lot of artists write albums, which is sort of like huddled away, mm-hmm. you know, often like some remote location away from the world, just like locking themselves in a room, they collaborate actively with their fans. They solicit ideas for song lyrics and, uh, you know, what character should sing this song. They make it a collaborative process. Test what works, what doesn't yeah. work like real time. Yeah. It's workshopping in real time. That's, that's the word I'm looking for, right? It's, it's a TikTok. I was trying to remember what you, you Broadway people call it. It was a workshop, <laughs> but it was like a, a, a workshop with millions of people around the world on TikTok, And they, you know, they fine tune and refine this song writing it along the way, this beautiful fan collaboration. Uh, People on TikTok are are proposing the playbill designs, choreography, all this stuff. And and, and as you noted, right, they didn't take this to some professional studio and have professional producers make it. They sang all the parts themselves, and Abigail Bear produced the entire album herself, all of the instruments on her computer from her home. A keyboard and a computer in a bedroom. That's it. Yeah. And... Guys, I shouldn't need to tell you because the Grammy sort of bears this out. It's incredible. It's it's 37 <laughs> minutes long. Like, we're not talking about this huge, giant album. We're talking about two musicians, entertainers, vocalists, uh, you know, creators uh, creating this piece. But all of this, you need to have this and you need to do this. And, and if you don't do this, you won't succeed in this. I mean, these two women just blew that out of the water. Like, ah, yeah, whatever. We're yeah. not going to do it in isolation. We're going to do it with everybody. A full cast? We don't need a full cast. We'll just do it. Wait, orchestration? Nah, we'll just do it in our bedroom. It's totally fine. Oh, wait, we the... won a Grammy? Cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and so, right, smash cut to today. This album that they released independently mm-hmm. gets nominated for a Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album. Against right there Andrew would have blown Lloyd my Webber. mind. Like, you know, just nominated. Phantom what? of the Opera, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Godspell, Stephen Schwartz. They're up against them. Like, at that point, you need to just say and really mean it. It's an honor just to be nominated. And had that been the end of this journey, that would have been a tremendous feather in their cap. It would have been a whole bird worth of feathers in their cap. But no, they weren't done. They won the damn thing, beating out Andrew Lloyd. And by the way, they were like so diplomatic about it. Like, oh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, you're our hero. This is such an honor. I would have been like, you know, behind the scenes like, yeah, I beat Andrew Lloyd Webber in Best Musical Theater Album. What? So in November of last year, I went to the theater makers uh, convention that they have every year. Um, Brilliant. I love it. I recommend it to everybody. But they were brought in as speakers and panelists. And at the conference, they interviewed Andrew Lloyd Webber. So they were sitting in a room with, (laughs) with, you know, Barlow and Bear, like asking, I mean, super, you know, starstruck like sitting there with andrew lloyd weber being like you we worship you we can't believe we get to ask these questions to you and and it was wonderful being in a room being in a virtual room with them and andrew lloyd weber and listening to these discussions and then you know flash forward to they just beat andrew lloyd weber out for a grammy (laughs) like nobody saw that coming and just uh who's hanging out backstage and we're going to chat with him after the break he just put into our private chat that andrew lloyd weber is now on tiktok and i'm not sure if you know his friends (laughs) abigail and emily helped convince him he needed to do that he's got to get some of his audience back that barlow and bear jacked from them (laughs) like like, he's he's, got fans there i mean coming on is probably the best thing he could do for his career but i love what that says about indie creators as well even these well-known big name 
people are realizing that creating things independently while giving access to their fans is working for other people, but is also access to their fans and they don't want to lose them and they may enjoy the sharing of their projects with them. So I'm excited that Andrew Lloyd Webber's on TikTok. That's fun. I want to see what he does. It's a welcome development. Happy to have him <laughs> in that house of horrors. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many layers to this story. I don't even know where to start peeling. How about the fact that uh, Abigail Barlow, she was, in, she was uh, interviewed in the New York Times after she won the Grammy. And one of the first things she mentioned was how close she came to just giving up on her career. The, a quote from an article that I'm reading, she wrote, we were both really depressed, her and Bear. It is hard to break into the music industry, and I was ready to give up. I was replying, I was applying for record label receptionist jobs and crying to my parents because they had been helping to support me in Los Angeles. And they were like, you need to get a real job. We can't help you anymore. It was a really hard decision to try to chase it one more time. And like right We're here, glad they did. Yeah. We're glad they did. It catches fire. And uh from our perspective, right, because we're the, like, you know, be very careful signing with record labels, achieve your own independence, you know, keep your masters, keep your publishing. They had a pretty cool quote from the article. I think you actually snagged it. You can uh, put it up here. Talking it's about me. that uh, phenomenon. Uh, talked about uh, doing the Bridgerton musical album without a record label, because as they were starting to put this album out, they realized that, or, you know, once it started to catch a little bit of buzz on TikTok, they had record label opportunities. Uh, from the article, quote, In the beginning, when it first started to blow up, we had a few conversations with labels, but none of it felt right. We knew that we wanted to capitalize on the moment, and we knew that the faster we released it, the better. And then Bear writes, quote, we would have gotten an orchestra and a cast, and that would have taken a lot of time and a lot of money. She's talking about if they were to get a label. And why sign a label deal and not own all of our masters in publishing? We were like, eh, let's just put it out ourselves. Eh, 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 eh. let's just put it out ourselves. Let's just put it on, let's put, just put it on DistroKid. Yeah, eh, and we'll win the Grammy and we'll beat, we'll beat Andrew Lloyd Webber, the greatest musical writer ever. Yeah, eh. I love Gen Zers. They're the best. Uh, quote. <laughs> and I remember the night the album came out and we just saw it climbing the charts. We had fans who were constantly bugging us to release the album. So we knew we would have listeners, but I didn't quite expect that much. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, it, it, I mean, so like they're definitely speaking to this program, right? Go your own way, keep your masters, build your fan base organically, and then unleash them on the world. And don't wait for a label to give you permission to achieve what is rightfully yours. I mean, that, if that's not breaking the business, I don't know what is. Yeah. It also made me flash back to our uh, our guest from Oralex who who was talking about his guy that won a Grammy for a song he wrote in a uh, a brick apartment, like yeah. an apartment with brick walls, because he said, you know, we we talk about how you need this perfect sound and you need to isolate the sound. And he said it's about controlling the sound. It's about creating what you want with the space you have and not necessarily getting the what everybody tells you you need to have. Um and I thought that was great. And that's the same kind of thing here. They created in the space they had and made it work. And that's a lesson to all of us. We don't need to have the perfect anything. We just need to work with what we've got. Yeah. They, what you need, and really from what I'm seeing in examples like that, the only thing you need <laughs> is the community. Yes, right? absolutely. A and that's community... not an easy thing. No, both and, of them had followings. Like, it's not like, hey, yeah. I created this musical and then I took off. Like, they both had followings with their music to begin with. Yeah. You need to you need to invest in it. You need to put in the time and the effort and the resources to make that community happen. But the community is more important than the Space Age studio. It's more important than the record label's resources. It's more important than the publishing company. It's more important than the entertainment lawyers, than the agents, than the managers. That community can take you everywhere you need to go, including to a freaking Grammy Award. And, you know, Lord knows what they're going to be doing next. But oh, it's more important than the storyline. Story. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. You know, you could be singing about the most important thing and no one will listen. And you could be singing about the most inane thing. And as long as people are hooked into what you're singing, it's great. I don't know if you caught uh, the other piece I was saying. You know, I'm, I'm a little nervous about it, seeing what nervous they do next. Nervous what they're going to do next. What's that? Yeah. Why, why well, is that? 
Because, you know, you see this happen so often, like they create something organically and they pave a way for a way something hasn't been done before. And when the industry goes, ooh, this worked, this is great. Let us take you under our wing. And all of a sudden, sometimes they lose that organic. I'm trying to remember, and of course, this feeds into your example. I'm trying to remember the artist you used to use an example of where you were like, she's the number one person on oh, MySpace. And then like, I have a couple of examples of that for sure. <laughs> this, it, it's, it, it is, it's one of the many things that frustrate me about record labels. This is like the most modern example of what frustrates me. Is there unyielding tendency to take a viral star <laughs> and take them from their indie world, sign them to a label, and then you never freaking hear from them again. Because they go to a Tara Naomi, who is the artist I was telling you about before, mm, yeah, or they yeah. go to an artist like Carmen that was really popular on YouTube, or they go to Bella Porch or, or you know, Jax or any of these people, and they say, hey, you're super popular on TikTok. You're doing really cool things on TikTok. You're building this great fan base and you're collaborating with them and you're talking with them multiple times a day and you got this great little community. We want to sign you. Oh, cool. Am I going to be able to keep talking to my community? Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to hide you away because we need to keep you mysterious. We need to. Yeah. And we want to control what you put out and we want to have first, write a first refusal. We want to right. decide if the audience is allowed to see it instead of letting your audience decide what they want to see. So are, are you fearful that that's what might be happening here? Okay. So I just saw, I'll put it up for you in a second. I just saw this one quote in an interview and I went, wait, what's going on behind the scenes? Because of course nobody tells us anything. Um, but if I pop this up here, so they were discussing, you know, what's up next. And they were like, well, we've got some stuff. And then Barlow says, and I quote, uh, Bridgerton gave us a foot in the door and we still have to keep it hush hush. And I'm like, these people, number one, who exposed everything are now keeping hush hush. They've never and hushed hushed. <laughs> I know. Bear says, which is totally against our MO. And it's a little frustrating because as we're writing this music, we want to share it with everyone. What's better PR for a project than getting people on board early? By the time it comes out, they know the music, they feel invested, they were there when it happened. And nothing else is said in this article or in the interview about this statement, but it makes me go, not only are they keeping hush-hush about their next project, but they're expressing a little bit of, quote it, frustration yeah. um, because they want to be doing things a way other than, they've, than they're currently doing them. And it makes me ask why. And the why doesn't seem to be because it's what they want to do. And so who is now influencing those decisions? And I don't know the answer to that, but that makes me nervous because I loved that organic feel and, and what they did. And I think that that's, that's a great lesson for other people to do. I want people to be creating musical, me musicals, but any creative art while having this real-time interaction with your audience and your fans, which is something that wasn't done, uh, yeah. you know, a generation ago. And it's an amazing tool. And I think it's where the industry is going. And I'm excited about that. Uh, in the transition, I'm scared. I'm scared that we'll lose brilliant creators to the powers that be because they, even though they fought for what they believed in for a really long time, they're now not fighting or not fighting hard enough for, I'm not giving up my fan base and I'm not going to keep it hush hush because that's not how we do things. So that, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens. I don't know, but you, you've now scared me about this, that we're going to lose <laughs> Barlow and Bear because no! some labels already gotten their claws in them. Is They're going to lock them away in some like, you know, far, far like bunker somewhere where they're going to write an album that nobody's going to care about because all their fans are going to forgotten about them because they don't get to collaborate with them every day. Th yeah. Now, now you got me scared and worried because here's what the Barlow and bear example is just the latest example of a trend of, and it's, and it's a trend that the music industry and even us as lawyers, as entertainment lawyers still haven't fully been able to wrap our arms around yet is for the first 99.9% .9 of the history of our industry in the, of entertainment, it's been built around the finished product and the release of that product. An album, a musical that is staged somewhere, a movie that we watch in theaters, whatever the thing is. But what this project is telling us is that 
this current generation of young people see the product as the process. They want to see it from the beginning, and more importantly, they want to be a part of it Mm -hmm. from the beginning. For them, being a part of the journey is the thing that they get the utility from. So... If all your if all Barlow and Bear's next project is going to be is here's the album we already finished it, all their fans are going to be like, wait, I didn't get to pitch any lyrics. Ooh, <laughs> I, I just thought about this thing. something. Okay, so that was the big wow. Now I'm thinking back to musical theater world, right? Yeah. And people pay a lot of money to be in those early stages to get into the workshop. The early producers are putting in tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars into early stages of musicals so that they have access to what's going on, access to behind the scenes and giving that away to uh, your audience and having them collaborate with you and deal with things uh, may make it harder to get those big money investors early on. You've now got a name and publicity and you can... Make sure that anyone who doesn't invest a minimum of $50,000 in your musical doesn't get into the workshop room. And so now are, are we going back to a, in order to have a show on Broadway, you have to have those accredited investors uh, working yeah. with your show and you can't get them if you're giving it to, you know, everybody on your TikTok page. <laughs> and that's a, that's a weird, weird world because that's your audience, but can that audience bring you in $10 million to put a show on Broadway? I don't it, know. It's, but it's our, the, the industry needs to adjust to the creators and not the other way around. And, you know, and even us lawyers, we That's have a, a lot of work to, to do. Yeah. Well, because, well, th- th- cause he, the, here's the first thing I think about when I read this story of like the Bridgerton musical being created as this kind of, cloud of creators like all sort of throwing stuff at the wall together and creating this project together as an entertainment lawyer you know my first thought is whoa all those people are collaborating where are the split sheets where are the contracts that say who owns what like you know are any of those 300 people who are pitching lyrics to the uh, to Barlow and Bear are they going to say well where's my cut of the copyright where's my piece of the song and so that's but like the Gen Zers they don't care about that. Like, th- like they, they're like, whatever, old guy. We just want to have fun and make stuff. And it's my job as a lawyer and, and all of our jobs as lawyers to figure out how to make the law meet their process. Because the last thing we want to do is, like, make it uncool by coming in with a bunch of documents. Hey, you kids. You know, like, like the... Uh, like the mom coming in with like the uh, you know the pizza or the or the you know rice crispy treats while the kids are just trying to like have fun during their slumber party. Like I'm coming in there, hey, all you hundred thousand creators making this Bridgerton musical here. Do y'all want to sign these split sheet agreements? They'll be like, yeah, get out of here, Grandpa. Can, can we do something like that on the pages themselves? Like if you follow uh, Break the Business and there's a disclaimer that says, you know, all. All conversations happening during our live stream um, <laughs> are the ownership and used by the you know production team of whatever. Like, is there a way on the platforms to be able to add that disclaimer to certain pages? Can you upgrade to a a production page where on your production page those things are kind of released so people are aware? I don't know. I'm. I'll give you a I'm lawyer's favorite answer. Jar- Maybe. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> we have to figure that out. And the labels have to figure out how to meet Gen Z where they are on their process and not try to make albums the way they did 20 years ago. Publishing companies, managers, booking agents, we have to change for this generation. We can't make this generation change for us or we're going to miss out on some really beautiful works of art. Okay. Let us take a break. We're going to talk with uh, Vinny Rebus uh, after the break because I'm interested in getting his thoughts on a couple of these things. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. 
Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. You can check us out on Facebook Live, Twitter Live, Twitch, YouTube Live, Sirius XM 145, and all major podcast platforms. Wherever you're checking us out, boy, are we so happy to have you around. Speaking of folks we're happy to have around the program, let's bring out our guest for this week. He is the founder of the Indie Connect Artist Development Company and has over 50 years of experience as a music manager and coach. His latest project is Cartney, an information platform and development that will feature over 500 videos on how the music industry works. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.indieconnect.com and www.cardney.com. We are thrilled to welcome Vinny Rebus on to Break the Business. Hello, Vinny. Hello, hello, hello. It's great to be here. Thank you. Great to have you here, sir. Uh, excited to uh, hear about the great work that you're doing. But first, I wonder if you'd indulge us a little bit and help us carry our conversation from the previous segment. I don't know how much of it you were listening to, but we were talking about uh, these two TikTokers, Barlow and Bear, that on Sunday beat out Andrew Lloyd Webber for the Grammy Award for Best Musical Theater Album on an album that they made with their friends on TikTok at their house, producing it themselves. Uh, given how long you've been in the industry and you've seen sort of how it's changed and evolved, what initial impressions do you get when you hear a story like this? I am thrilled. I am absolutely thrilled because it does break the machine, just like you say. Uh, it's so it, The machine is so stuck, and it's been for so many years, and they always feel like you, you can. They, everybody has to fit their mold. And finally, people are being able to, to, you know, they have the outlet. Like you said, they have the, the following that changes everything. It changes the game. It used to be that the record label was the one that got you the following. Now you're yeah. bringing that with you. And so you have more control over what you're saying, what you're doing. So I love that. It's an exciting development. Uh, I, I, from, would you say that's sort of the biggest shift that you've seen in the music industry overall? since from when you started absolutely absolutely putting the the power in the the hands of the creator and letting them you know navigate their way from there to, to me is just so important because it opens the doors for anybody who's great enough to do this and learns a little bit about the business you still like you've been saying you still have to know how to that how to maintain your publishing. You have to be, avoid the scammers that are going to come and try to sign you to a label that's bogus or whatever. You have to have all that, but it's really just an amazing shift to put that power in the hands of the creators. And you've devoted a great part of your career to putting that information in indie creators' hands, uh, most prominently through the creation of the Indie Connect uh, service. Right. Can you tell the listeners and viewers a little bit about that? Well, Indie Connect basically started out as a networking organization here in Nashville. Um, I got five people together to say, why don't we get together once a week and talk music business? And uh, the first week I had five. The next people, next week there were 10 people there. The next week there were 30 people there. Um, before I knew it, I had six meetings going every single week all around Nashville. And, all, and I was basically bringing in these experts who were calling me. They were com coming out of the woodwork to come and speak. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody in the industry here. I had just moved to Nashville. And they were coming out of the woodwork to speak to the independents because they love that, too. They're tired of the machine. And it, it was just amazing. Uh, 
it was just masterminding everybody sharing this is what i'm working on this is what i need next and the the information that was shared the contacts that were made you know i can help you with that i'd like to go right with you i know somebody that can do that i got a neighbor that does that uh it was just so powerful and so i've tried to to run other networking events even online through COVID. I, i was the first one to put a a virtual music conference on in 2013 and then we did another one in 2020 uh, and so it's my whole mission has always been to make it possible for independent artists to have a career in the industry that is stable that's profitable that's scalable as long as they have the, the passion the drive and of course a skill or talent um, and that goes for behind the scenes too it's not just you know on stage but as the, the hard part is when you're doing a lot of coaching, you're doing one-on-one, maybe small group coaching and stuff like that. I had to find a way to get it in front of an awful lot of people. I've got, my website has over 500 articles on it that I've written. We did a whole lot of videos. Um, we were videotaping the meetings and putting them up online. I've taken them down. I got to go through them to see what's relevant and what's not still. But um, it, that's just always been my goal. And so when I find, you know, we, it was six six months ago or so when I, I thought of the idea of of basically creating a TV network, for, for the lack of a better word, that outlines the entire industry, how to do it. Because what I found is that when coaching all these artists, every single time I get the same questions, the same challenges. You know, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I get my songs in film and TV? How do I protect my band name? How do I protect my song? I, I mean, it's just... There's so many questions that if somebody just had a very simple place to go and find that, you know, it would be their lives would be so much easier. I love these kind of platforms and I I love when experts come together and make them happy. I want to kind of ask you a little bit of a philosophical question here because you've uh, made a you've uttered this phrase a couple of times in the interview. And it's certainly one that I concur with this idea of being tired of the machine. You talked about being tired of the machine, all the people that you brought in for those conferences in the early days, all universally tired of the machine. I would venture to say that I have never met somebody in the industry who wasn't tired of the machine. I've never heard somebody be like, you know what? I really like that machine. I feel like it's doing, you know, I'm pro machine. So if that is the case, why do we still have the machine? Why does the machine persist? Why why have we all as an industry not been able to take down what we can all agree has a, a system with flaws? I think it's because the machine would not allow that. They would not, they didn't want to be destroyed. That's why they own a lot of Spotify, for example. You know, they control the mechanisms that people were using to get out there, but they did not control social media. Yeah. And so social media was the breakthrough. And to me, that's, you know, that's the, that's the deal that has has broken the bank completely for the uh, for the record labels. And they're scrambling when I talk to these people because I'm interviewing, you know, I'm not the expert in all these videos that we're putting together. I'm interviewing hundreds of experts and and they're all in 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 the same boat. You know, they're saying, OK, we have to shift. We have to change everything because social media has taken it, the control out of our hands. And um you know, I don't know what the number is now. I think A2IM said it's close to 40% of the, the revenues is driven by indie artists now. Yeah, it was like 20 not that long ago, which is right. pretty exciting. Right, right. And, and, you know, we see it all the time, the, the effect of social media. People may not realize it, but there was somebody on one of the award show, one of the game shows like American Idol or something that was singing a song that was a TikTok hit. You know, that went everywhere and, and they got it. They got a golden buzzer. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and the gal that was that wrote the song is, you know, screaming on. on she's got her own video on there that she's screaming about how they recorded her song or, you know, played her song on there. And it's it's everywhere and it's not going to stop. So you mentioned these this platform that you're developing that's going to have videos on it. Is this the Cartney platform that yes. you were talking about? Can you tell us a little bit about that? This sounds like a pretty ambitious project. It is ambitious. I love it. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want to do anything small. Now, you know, I the way I, I look at it, there, there's three challenges that people have in the industry. One is there is no roadmap. 
there is no, you know, if you're a doctor, you've got WebMD or, or you've got a medical library that you subscribe to. If you're a lawyer, you have a law library that you subscribe to. If you're a musician, where do you go? Hmm. There's no place to go. There's no place to go and get accurate, up-to-date information that you can count on. This is for real. And so the, my first goal was to be able to do that, to be able to answer all the questions that these thousands of artists that I've been talking to over the years um, all have. Because they are, you know, basic questions that can be answered in a 10-minute, 20-minute video. The second piece of it is that I see so many artists, I've got so many stories of artists that have been ripped off over and over again in so many different areas. So we're, we're putting a whole series together. I've got 65 topics so far um, that's going to enlighten people on all the different scams that are out there and how people get ripped off. Uh, can you give us a taste of that? What is the, what's the big scam that's going out right now that really makes your blood boil? It, there's so many of them, but I, I was on TikTok because I I'm, I'm I love TikTok. I was on there two days ago, and somebody said, you know, I got another one of those songwriting scams. And so I, I she didn't say what it was. She said I just you know shook it away. And um, so I DM'd her and I said, you know, tell me about this. And it was a birthday song scam. And if you haven't heard about this, it, it happens in all other industries. I've seen it before, but never in this sense. Somebody uh, contacted her, asked her to write a birthday song for their daughter, said they would pay her $500, sent her a check for $200. Um, when she got the check, she deposited, but it turned out to be for $2,000. So then they, they called up and said, oh, you need to send us back the $1,500. When the $1,500, so she did that. She sent the $1,500 back. And then, of course, the, the check that they had deposited was a bogus check. Oh. So, they, so that didn't go through. And she was out $1,500. Oh. You know, it, it's, you know, and here she's like, I, I, I should have known. I mean, I only have 150 followers. <laughs> you know, it, it's just rampant. And and it's, you know, those those are the scam type of things. But there's always the, the producers that try to steal your masters, try to steal you know, a portion of your publishing, a portion of your songwriting credits. I'm dealing with that with a former intern right now, uh, fighting that battle. And I mean, it's just it just happens in so many ways. Songwriting contests and and you know uh song pluggers that are fake and it it, it makes my blood boil how and do I, artists I, navigate this like is there any sort of overarching principles that artists should live by to try to not be victims of these kind of scams well there are but you know i think two things happen one the scammers are really really good at looking professional and number mm -hmm. two you're it's an ego-driven business so people who don't know and, and, you know, they have to be educated in the industry. They don't know. And so they jump on board thinking that, you know, they've gotten their big break or something. So the way we're setting up these videos um, is they're separated by categories, but everything is starts with before you do this. So my goal is that people will, um, before they make any move in the industry, will go here and look at the 10 minute, 15 minute video, well, 10 minute or um you know, maybe two or three 10 minute videos on, okay, before I sign a management deal, this is what I need to look for. Before I look for a manager, before I look for uh, a producer, before I uh, sign up for a songwriting contest, before I, you know, pay somebody to be a song plugger, before I, you know, you know, have, pay somebody to publish my lyrics. You know, I, I mean, because there's so many different things that people get caught up in. And so hopefully that'll be the place that you go first before you make any moves in the industry. And what's the current state of development of Cartney? When do you anticipate a full launch? This summer. We're doing the scam videos first. We want to make them free. Yeah, that, that, that's what we like. We, we got to. I mean, I just, I, I've got too many stories, way too many stories. And so we're working on that right now. And, um, and we're interviewing not just industry professionals, but artists were interviewing, you know, everybody, anybody that's got um, either a story or got has expertise. Um, we, we feel like it, we have to have the balance completely. And um, it's, it's, I'm amazed at how much of the industry has, has gathered around this.
You know, I've got over a hundred uh, industry pros that have signed up for being an inter being interviewed for this, That's and nobody, marvelous. nobody, nobody's ever turned me down. <laughs> nobody, and and you know, I, I put it on social media and say if if you're interested, sign sign here, and the the level of people that are signing up are blowing my mind. Well, it's sort of like the old days when you started Indie Connect, where these experts wanted to come speak at your sessions because generally. The people who operate in this industry, they come at it with a real place of love for indie creators like right. you. They want to help. And I mean, e even now, like, uh, you know, doing this podcast and, you know, the full time client load, like I'll answer every email an artist sends me about with a question or right. anything like that. Because I do the same. Right. Because those of us who get into this line of work, it's it's a labor of love. Like there's certainly absolutely more lucrative worlds out there. But we we love creators and we want to help creators. And so, yeah, it does not surprise me in the slightest that you have no shortage of people, you know, experts in the industry who want to help move this forward. That's so, so encouraging to me. It puts a smile on my face. And you can find out more about our guests' work by visiting www.indieconnect.com. And you can check out Cartney coming this summer, we think, at uh, www.cart. NE.com. Our guest is Vinny Rivas here on Break the Business. Let me ask you one more question before we get to our final question this week, because sure. I was intrigued by an article I, I read there in Indie Connect talking about how it's important for indie creators to SWAT themselves. That's S-W-O-T. And now I assume by SWAT, that's referring to a SWOT analysis. Now, exactly. many, many, many moons ago, uh, I, I had a you know business degree, and I think I remember like some like random page I read in some random marketing textbook or management textbook about a SWOT analysis and it being about like companies and exploring strengths and weaknesses. I mean, again, it's been a long time. How does that apply to indie creators? Great question. So a SWOT analysis uh, means SWOT. It's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And so when you're an artist, you need to know what your strengths are. You, if you're a good singer, obviously that's a strength. But when I ask artists about this, they usually have two or three things that they put on there. And they don't put on, I have a great personality. I love talking with people. Uh, I'm good at writing. And all these other things all play a part in, okay, how are we going to shape, how we're going to market you? Those are all parts of it. So when I have people do a SWOT analysis, they start with the strengths and then I say, okay, how are we going to capitalize on that strength? Okay. You're attractive. That's a good strength. We need to have that in there. That means maybe all of your album covers or CD covers or, or single covers have your picture on them rather than some other kind of art because you're going to be attractive. And, and we just go down the list. The weaknesses are things that need to be addressed and a lot of times they're really easy. You're not as good a guitar player as you'd like to be. Great. We have to ha hire somebody else to be a guitar player. We're going to get you lessons, things like that. They're, they're usually not very serious things, but they are things that just, you know, can be bothersome that you're not quite at, up to par with that. So we figure out, okay, here's a weakness. How are we going to uh, balance that out? How, you know, whether we're going to ignore it and get somebody else to do it, or are we going to improve on, on something? Opportunities are literally exactly what it says. You know, it's the, the venues that you have the possibility of playing. It's the uncle that you have who works at a record label or, or works at a radio station or, you know, yeah. any of those kind of opportunities. Let's write them down so we know what we've got to work with. And then how are we going to capitalize them? When are we going to capitalize on them? And then the threats, that's anything that might possibly um, ruin your career or stop you in your tracks. And that could be financial. It could be no support from your family. It could be a disease. It could be a medical condition. Those all have to be addressed. How are we going to deal with this? Once you do this, now you've got so many pieces that you can work with for marketing. You know where. what are the things that we have to work on. You know exactly what direction we're going in with all these opportunities. And we know the things that we really have to address first, the, the most important things that we need to get out of the way so that they're not going to be a risk in your uh, in, in your career. Taking inventory of those strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats is so important for indie creators. The earlier you can do it, the better. And once you've identified them, as Vinny says, 
you have to then turn them into action items to figure out right. how you can make the most, leverage those strengths, and find a way to uh, work around your weaknesses to move your career forward. Great stuff. You explained that really well. I feel like if you were my professor in business school, I would have understood that concept back then. Um, unfortunate, though. Uh, before we let you go, Vinny, one yes. last question. Again, you yes. can find out more about our guest's work by visiting IndieConnect.com and Cartney.com. Vinny, one last question. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? I, what I find is that most artists do not know what's actually available to them. And so learning the industry is is really, really critical. But studying or let's put it this way. You set yourself some one year, three year and five year goals. They need to be, these are my business goals. This is the kind of places I want to play. This is how much traveling I want to do. This is how much money I want to make from the industry. But then you have to do the same thing with your personal goals. And because, you know, you got to make sure that they align. I don't know how many times I've had a, a young gal, 21, 22 years old. I want to be famous. I want to be touring and everything. Great. You know, are you going to get married? Yeah, we're engaged. You're going to have kids? Yeah, when? Two years. You're going to bring the baby on the bus? Hmm, didn't think about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, you, you said, if you, if you look at it that way, and you know that, okay, five years from now, I want to be making $200,000 a year from music, then you got to look at, is what I'm doing now going to get me there? And if it's not, what has to change? You know, maybe usually it's the kind of venues that you're playing and the kind of venue that you're aiming towards that needs to change. There are there are so many different venues out there that that are what I call close or soft ticket gigs. Um, you've probably heard that before. Hard ticket and soft ticket. Hard ticket gigs are where you have to have the draw. Soft ticket gigs are where they already have the audience. You just have to be a great entertainer. Yeah. That could be a tourist area. It could be, you know, a college tour, a military tour. There's so many different ways. And most artists go after those those hard ticket gigs, the, the local bars that are going to let them, you know, play for the door or play for the percentage of the bar or something like that. But they, if they go after the soft ticket gigs, then they can have a really long career. They can make really good money and they don't have to be the marketing machine. And that's where you get your fan base that then turns into the, you know, the, the long-term career. Right on. Vinny, this has been a treat, man. Thank you so much for the insight. Thank you for joining us this week. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that was fantastic. Vinny Rebus, everybody, again, check him out at IndieConnect.com and at Cartney.com. Boy, what a blast. I feel I feel uh, so much smarter after talking to him. How about that? Yeah, he, was, he had a lot of great info. Yeah. So with the time we have left, Lauren, I, I would like to run an idea by you. I want to do a little bit of, uh, I guess, show, show talk, show behind the scenes, something I was thinking of. You know, get all, I'm one of those people that get all my best ideas in the shower, and I have one of those uh, good shower ideas today that I wanted to talk to you about with the seven minutes we have left on the show. Okay. Um, see what I was thinking about, because, again, I was inspired to think about it again because Vinny was talking about, you know, events where people get together. And for a long time, I've wanted to get something off the ground and break the business where we don't just give information to indie creators— but give them a forum to create and to show their work out there into the world and to, you know, introduce themselves to a broader community and just give an, an opportunity to get rewarded for that talent. And since, as you know, I am the biggest Eurovision fan on the other side of the Atlantic, I'm thinking we got to do some kind of like monthly song contest. Here's kind of what I was thinking. And I want to get your input. Maybe you have some other suggestions. Monthly song contest. We have people who listen to the show, or if you don't listen to the show, I don't care. Uh, you submit a song, an mm -hmm. original song. Mm -hmm. We pick four finalists, mm. five finalists, whatever it's going to be, who uh, then we do the, a monthly live stream where the different performers perform their song live for, and then we'll get like a panel of like one to three judges. Like we'll get like a Vinnie Rebus in there. Ariel Hyatt, whoever it's going to be, give those industry experts a chance to like, you know, talk about their book or whatever, like do a little bit at that in the beginning. So there could be some networking, but then we do the song contest and then the winner gets a prize. And the prize I think can be some combination of cash, you know, get these people paid 
Woo-hoo. As well as like maybe, you know, if, if some of the judges have a book, we'll get them a free copy of the book or something like that. But something that's fun, something that's competitive, that can build a little audience around it. We do it as a live stream every week. It promotes the podcast. It promotes the artist. The artists get paid. I'm feeling this. What do you think? I personally want to go back to uh, something I've been pitching for a long while, which is uh, along with that, having people who want to have an opportunity for their music to be out there a little tiny bit with us, uh, submit music to us that we're able to use pre-show, post-show. You know, oh, we're, you, you've been all, you've been on, I've this, been on for this for so, so long. long. <laughs> you, you want like during the pre-show music, instead of the, the royalty free stream yard right. music, <laughs> Hey, don't knock feeding the ducks on Streamyard. right? That song it's is an great. absolute banger. I get nothing but praise when we play feeding the ducks during the stream starting soon lyric, but right. You want to, instead of having feeding the ducks from the Streamyard royalty free library, you want uh, musicians to submit music that we play during that portion. How many brilliant independent musicians do we have listening to our show, watching our show out there in the world that needs somewhere, not need, but would appreciate somewhere to share their music and giving them that exposure? I mean, that's what we stand for. That's what we do. So why uh, why can't we use our platform to do it? Uh, you know, if if these artists want to share their music with us, send their music to us, we can play one at the top of the show, at the end of the show, one of each uh, over the course of our month. And guess what? That gives you four to eight uh, songs that we can play each month and then vote on if you'd like. But that gives them an opportunity. I'm sorry. You can hear us on Sirius XM channel 145. And that's an opportunity to be able to say you got your song played on radio or anything else. If we can have some kind of a release that they can click on when they submit their song, if they're willing to share it with an audience, why not give it to them? All right. So if this is going to play on the radio, because the stream starting soon music doesn't play radio, that's just on the live stream. Boy, are we getting inside baseball on this now? Um, you but, opened it up on the air. I mean, I usually rant this to you off the I air. I know, but, but you know. Like we, we got a few minutes, and, and I was excited about kind of throwing these ideas around. And maybe the viewers and listeners, maybe they have thoughts. They want to email us, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Uh, tweet at me, at Ryan K-A-I-R. Let us know what you think of these ideas. But if you're saying that we want this song to get played on Sirius XM, then we have to play it sometime during the actual show and not just during the pre-show thing. So we can make it the pre-show song and then play it out. Like if we ended the show at at hour instead of hour five or 55 minutes instead of our hour slot, we've got a little chunk of time where we could like say thank you. And this week we'd like to thank our guest Joe Schmo for creating the song you're going to hear now and, and play it. Yeah. Okay. So then, so then we, 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 we say goodbye to everybody and then it plays at the end. And sure. then, so so you're, you're gonna take, you're gonna take I'm in for both. I mean, you're going to take three and a half minutes after. out of my radio show. Is that what's happening? I know. You're gonna we can't take, run over. Because valuable I feel, real estate. I, I would feel really badly <laughs> if we were like, sorry, we ran over and we're not going to play your song. Um, but if we build <laughs> like it what Jimmy Kimmel program, does with the Matt Damon joke every. Oh, our apologies to Matt Damon. We had sorry, to bump. Matt. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, again. Yes, it's valuable real estate, and it's valuable time on the show. I'm kidding but about that. Is, People would second, absolutely want to hear is, from an artist more than me talking you, or you talking. But what is more valuable to us and to our industry than the creators themselves, right? Fair, fair. <laughs> All right. So it's valuable, but we should share that value with people that we value. Well, I want to do both of these things. Okay. But I am I'm intrigued by yours because it's a lot easier. <laughs> but easier. over time, I want to do both of these things because because uh, both of them have the same effect, right? I want to build a I want to find a way to build the community around this show. I yeah. want I want an Abigail Barlow and Bear style community that is just rabid and feels like this uh, overwhelming urge to want to like contribute to this program and help it grow. Because, you know, there might be a Grammy for podcasting someday that we could win. And we need that army behind us. It's or maybe we'll make a break the us, business it's musical. It's not about our awards. But I do want <laughs> I do want the creators and our listeners and the people who, who have loyally sat with this show, all the, the Mary Ambers out there, uh, who have been here with us for so long. Like, I want to allow the platform we've built to help them build an audience while sending people to us. But I want us also to 
be bringing in people because we are sharing our time with creators and because they have a place not only to learn about the industry, but to learn about the artists within that industry. Without so. a doubt. Our I'm thanks to Vinny. Please do. Our thanks to Vinny Rebus for joining us this week. Uh, my thanks to all of you. Thanks to you, of course, Lauren. And right. my thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We will see you next week.